Paul is finishing up his letter here in Romans chapter 15. He's finishing up his letter to the Romans, telling him what his future plans are. He plans on, as he had said in the first chapter, he planned on getting to Rome much earlier. He had been hindered uh, by the devil. He had been hindered. But he saw that everywhere he had been teaching and preaching, everybody had heard the gospel. He had in his heart to preach the gospel where it had not been preached before. Later in the book of Acts, he says, uh, for that gospel came to you which came to all those in the whole world, as to all them in the world. I think it, actually, I take that back. I think it's in Thessalonians. Writ, wrote to, to all the world. So uh, the inclination was is that the whole world, the known world at that time, had indeed heard the gospel, all the civilized world of that time, which is uh, very interesting because that would have been um, right around 15 years after the resurrection. So... Uh, it was radical what the Lord was doing. Now, there's pockets of people groups that uh, there's still literally thousands of them that, that have still not heard the gospel. Uh, you have different tribes, uh, even in Mexico, uh, as well as in uh, uh, New Guinea and a lot of other uh, countries, little pockets uh, in Turkey and, and so forth, um, where you have a, a tribe of people there may be only be two or three hundred of them, but they speak a completely separate language. And uh, somebody needs to go there and learn the language and, uh, and then translate the Bible into their language and then preach the gospel to them. And uh, it's a wonderful thing. I, I showed a, a video a while back, New Tribes Mission. Do you remember that on a Wednesday night? That was just powerful. How many of you guys saw that, New Tribes Mission? Oh, man, only about uh, a little over half of you guys. Man, I'll tell you, you have to show that again. That was just so life-changing. It really was. But anyway, he's letting them know here that he plans on stopping by, wants to help them. But first, he needed to take the finances from the Gentiles to the Jewish believers, as we looked at last week, uh, that Paul felt that since the Messiah was given from the Jews, so they, were, they had been receiving spiritual things from the Jews, that therefore... Uh, they should bless them materially. They had been touched spiritually. To That would be the reciprocation to bless them uh, material, materially since that was indeed their need there amongst the Jews. Because again, the Jewish population, when you receive the Lord, you are cut off completely. Uh, there's no way to buy, no way to sell, no way to work, no way to live. Your family cuts you off. In many cases, they would actually have a funeral, bury an empty casket, and have a tombstone with your name. You are dead to them. They have nothing to do with you again. It's heavy. And so it spiraled the tens of thousands of Christians in Judea that got saved uh, into an economic, uh, very difficult time. The persecution they immediately received after receiving the Lord. And then on top of that, in Acts 11, uh, Agabus, a prophet, uh, had prophesied that there was going to be a famine. And uh, so really Paul had in his heart to collect money from all the Gentile churches and to take a rather large sum uh, to Jerusalem and then let them distribute it unto the Christians throughout Judea. Now, we happen to know in the book of Acts that Paul, going to Jerusalem, and, and again, the, the Jews really didn't know what to do with Paul, even the Christians. 
um, when Paul first got saved, uh, the Christians wouldn't believe him. And uh, so he stopped in, said hi. Uh, only um, one of the apostles was there, it tells us in Galatians. And then he left. He was gone for 14 years, never went back to Jerusalem, never saw an apostle. Three years he was by himself in Arabia. Just the Lord teaching him as, as he reread the Old Testament, the Lord speaking to him, showing himself in the scriptures. From there, Barnabas, who is in Antioch, went down and got Paul and said, man, we need some solid teachers. And he had, God evidently had really spoke to Barnabas and, and he brought him up and, and encouraged the church in Antioch. And Antioch really uh, became the hub of Christianity. Jerusalem no longer was. The apostles had to, to flee. And so really Barnabas and Paul there in Antioch were really uh, the center of Christianity for quite a time. And then people started getting sent out from there. And uh, so after a time, the Lord spoke. Some uh, guys came up from Jerusalem, some prophets and teachers, and they were ministering to the Lord in prayer and fasting. And the Holy Spirit said, tell Barnabas and Paul it's time for them to go. And they started their missionary journeys. But Paul, he could be a Gentile to the Gentiles, but Jews had a real hard time with that because they had always eaten kosher. And Paul had no problem eating, uh, you know, eggs and bacon. He had no problem. But the Jews really had a hard time with him eating pork and, and eating other things that weren't kosher. And so when Paul came to Jerusalem, people felt very uncomfortable with him, even the Christians. And so what would happen is, as he came to Jerusalem, they said, hey, Paul, there's some guys who had the vow of the Nazarite, which Paul evidently at one time had. And typically, they would break the vow within the year. And so before they could worship, they'd have to shave all the hair on their body. And then that would reinstitute uh, the Nazarite vow starting over. And so he says there, um, why don't you take some of these young men, pay the price, they were evidently, uh, poor, they couldn't pay it, and uh, take these guys in, and, and you as a, a rabbi uh, will still be seen, and, and evidently the Jewish-Gentile situation, or Jewish-Christian situation, had sort of uh, mellowed out. They just sort of accepted it at some degree. And so Paul, known as a rabbi, take these guys in and do it, and, and when he went in with these four guys, um, somebody started a rumor that he had taken Gentiles into the temple. And knowing Paul in a Gentile's way, thought it's very possible. Now, Paul wouldn't have done that, but this is what they started. And so before you knew it, they had grabbed Paul, taken him out to the outer courtyard area, and were beating him silly. Now, the Antonio Fortress, the Roman uh, headquarters, was attached to the outer wall of the temple. And they had actually had one entire wall where the Romans could stand on the wall and look out over the temple, and most of the city of Jerusalem. And they saw this riot going on and dust being kicked up and, and thousands of people uh, coming upon Paul. The soldiers went down there, broke it up, and barely got Paul away with his life. And uh, there as he was walking up the steps to the Antonio Fortress, he said, hey, uh, can I stop and talk to these guys? And he, and he spoke to them in a language other than the Hebrew. And he said, oh, I thought you only knew Hebrew. And he goes, no, no, I, I'd like to talk to these guys. And so he turned and he, he started speaking in Hebrew and the Roman guard didn't know what was going on. And Paul just started giving his testimony. Paul really believed 
that if he could just preach in the power of God's Spirit and how he'd been working, that just all of these people would get saved. It happened with Peter. <laughs> Thousands of people got saved. The day, the day of Pentecost came, I, I, I think he really thought, man, these people are going to soak it in and, you know, forget Peter, you know, 3,000, man, he'll eat my death. 10,000 people are going to get saved, you know. And, and as he was given his testimony, he came to the part where the Lord spoke to him, saying in a vision, I've called you unto the Jews, unto the kings, and unto the Gentiles. And when that happened, they started throwing dirt up and screaming and yelling. The Roman didn't know what he had said. And, and he grabbed him and he, and he took him on and put him in prison. And they were getting ready to beat him to get the truth out of him. And he said, hey, is it right to beat a Roman citizen without uh, first having been condemned? They said, you're a Roman citizen? Yeah. Well, the commander came in and said, how did you become a Roman? I had to buy mine. cost me a lot of money. The equivalents in those days would be about $3 million of what it would be today. It's very expensive. How did you get it? And he goes, my dad paid for it. I, I was born that way. I was born a Jew. And so they didn't beat Paul, but he ended up getting stuck there for two years. He actually, he was there in Jerusalem a short time. Some 30 guys got together and said, they're not going to leave him alone. They're not going to eat or drink until they kill Paul. The Romans hearing this snuck him away by night down to Caesarea. And he was there in Caesarea. Today when we go to Israel, it's pretty radical. It's one of the first places we go. It's the very same structure. It, it withstood time. And we are actually standing on the uh, platform there in Caesarea, the same exact stones, many of them, uh, you can tell which ones they are, that Paul would have stood on when he talked to King Agrippa and Felix and, and so forth. It was, it was pretty incredible. And so... Paul there preached the gospel, but after a time, he knew that it was going to be a dead end. And uh, so what he did was he said, I appeal to Caesar. Now, a Roman citizen could do that. You appeal to Caesar, to Caesar you shall go. But the problem with that was that I want to see Caesar himself. I want him to make the verdict because Romans saw themselves like gods. And, and the God was Caesar, but all of them are his gods. And so... They can appeal to Caesar, and this is the way the government was. Caesar himself would try my case. Well, that was okay, but the problem was is you had to wait till Caesar was ready. So many people, as they were waiting, they would go to Rome, be under house arrest, would die before Caesar. They got to ever see Caesar, um, which would be the case. So, I mean, it could be a, a lifelong death sentence uh, and house imprisonment if you demanded to see Caesar. So Paul went ahead and, and appealed. And so at this point, Paul said, hey, I know I'm going to come to Rome. I, I know that's what the Lord's speaking, but I don't think he had any idea he was going to get there as a prisoner. And of course, even that wasn't a straight shot. It was a very simple um, uh, boat trip. <clears throat> but the time they finally got around over by Ephesus, Ephesus and, and then to cut on a cross, um, through Corinth there, they couldn't get across because of the winter winds had already kicked in. And Paul said, hey, we just need to stay here. I'm sensing in my spirit that we won't make it. Um, the boat will crash if we don't just stay. And, and the captain said, no, we can make it. And the Roman uh, soldier, soldiers and said, hey, you're, you're just a tent maker. You're a 
some preacher who we're not going to listen to you. We'll listen to the captain. And so as they started selling the boat, indeed got caught in the winds. And it, it's it's amazing, amazing. If you look at that little tiny dot called the island of Malta. And um, that's where the ship ended up shipwrecking right onto that island. And Paul there preached and the whole island got saved. And they eventually made it on over to Rome. But he was there as a prisoner. And he was there for years as a prisoner. And so Paul, in writing this letter, he knew he was going to come to Rome. He knew eventually he would make it to Spain, he felt. Some believe that he went ahead and went to Spain after he was released. But uh, we don't know for certain. And so he looked last week, left off at verse 28, and he says there again, Therefore, when I perform this and have sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by way to you to Spain. Now, Paul is excited about coming to them, and, and he wants them to be excited about it. And he says, but I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. You know, you can never go wrong with sharing Jesus. Because Isaiah 61 says, the word of God goes out and never returns void. But always accomplishes that work in which it was sent out to do. You'd never return void. It would always accomplish the work it was sent out to do. Now, whether it's life unto life or death unto death, either way, the word of God is piercing. Whether they receive the Lord or not, it's working. So if I'm sharing with somebody that they need Christ in their life, that word of God is working in their life, and it won't stop. It'll never let go. I was talking to a brother who was a Jehovah Witness for 30 years. And five times in the 30 years, 70,000 homes, he had knocked that many doors in those 30 years. Five times. Out of 70,000 homes, out of 30 years, five times, somebody said to him, you know what? Have you ever read this verse? And they read it to him and then gave their interpretation of it. You know, Thomas said, my Lord and my God unto Jesus. Jehovah's Witnesses don't point those verses out, don't like them. And when he had asked about the verse, it, it nagged him and nagged, it never stopped nagging him. And he wrote to the Watchtower and they gave him an interpretation. And then he read a few months later in the Kingdom Hall magazine and it was a different interpretation. And then a few months later, the verse again, and it was a different interpretation. And, and he just said, here is the perfect Kingdom Hall, you know, the, the Watchtower organization, and they don't know how to interpret this verse. And it says pretty plain, plainly that Jesus is Lord and God, not Michael the Archangel. Well, they just nagged at him, and eventually they had some prophecies that the Lord's coming back, didn't come back, got disillusioned, just said, I'm going to read the Bible. And this is what these people who had said, here's some verses, you better just read the New Testament, just read it. They read the magazines, and they had them so busy knocking on doors, they never had time to sit down and read the Bible. And he finally read it through and got saved. But he says those verses never let him go. And what those people said never let him go. It nagged him and nagged him and nagged him. And uh, so again, I, I think we just need to take those opportunities to, to be bold and to share the faith and to take some tracts and, and to pass them out, hand them to people, and, and uh, it'll never stop at all. And so Paul says, I know when I come to you, I'm going to come in the 
fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. And every one of us can go to work in the fullness of the blessing of this good news of Jesus Christ. You can go to school in the fullness of the blessing of this message of Jesus Christ. You can go to the beach. You can go to the Padre game. Wherever you go, you can go in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. And that's what you want for your life, to go in that full, complete blessing as you simply preach Christ. Christ and Him crucified. Well, in verse 30 tonight is really the verse we want to hone in on. Now. So Paul is saying now. I'm going to change gears here. Now. I want to draw your attention to this. I beg you. This is a ver- uh, word that Paul uses. He's imploring. He's The best translation is begging you. And the, the idea is, as I'm coming alongside you, and I'm putting my arm around you, and I'm just saying with every bit of ounce of encouragement I can give, brothers, sisters, listen to please, listen, listen, listen. You need to start, if you're, not, if you're not living this way, you need to start living this way. If you're not doing this, you need to start doing this. I don't know what you're thinking, but this is how you need to start thinking. I don't know what you're doing, but this is what you need to start doing. I beg you, I beg you. He says the same term in chapter 12. Remember there? Turn back if you don't. I beseech you. It's translated there. Same thing. I beg you. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable God, which is your reasonable service. I beseech you. I beg you. I urge you all the different ways, brethren. So Paul, again, he's saying, not that I'm, in, in 2 Corinthians 1.24, he says, not that I'm in dominion over your faith. He doesn't say, I command you, although he does say that sometimes. But in this particular case, he says, I, not that I'm trying to have dominion over your faith, but he says in 2 Corinthians 1.24, but a fellow worker of your joy, for by faith you stand. So, He's coming alongside, putting his arm around their neck, squeezing, you know. You ever have people do that? It sort of hurts your neck a little bit. Ah! And uh, listen up here. Brethren. Talking to the believers. Through the Lord Jesus Christ. Or for the Lord Jesus Christ. So, I'm not saying this, although this is something for me. He's going to point out here. I'm not saying this out of a selfish motive. I'm saying it because I want Jesus Christ to be glorified. Paul said in Philippians 1.21, For me to live is Christ. That's all he wants is Christ. Some, he says in Philippians 2.21, Seek their own, not the things of Christ. But Paul and Timothy were not that way. They wanted the things of Christ, period, always first. And he's saying, So for the Lord Jesus Christ, for the sake of Jesus Christ, and notice here, through the love of the Spirit. So, I'm urging you, I'm telling you it's for Jesus and the love of the Spirit. In other words, love the Holy Spirit. To show love to the Holy Spirit. You know, we can mess up sometimes. We're not realizing the Holy Spirit is a person. Now, we can picture Jesus because He came in human flesh. But the Bible tells us we know Him according to the flesh no more. It tells us in John 4 that God is spirit. 
Therefore, we who worship him should worship in spirit and truth. So, for us, you see, God has anthropomorphically spoken. He's spoken in ways that would help us as humans upon this earth to relate. The eye of the Lord is upon you. The hand of God is upon you. You know, these types of terms. But God is, is uh, incorporeal. He's not a corporeal being. He's incorporeal. He, he's not a, a person of flesh and blood. He's not a person with a, a physical structure like we know it. What are we going to be like? It says in 1 John 3, when, uh, when we go to heaven. We don't know. But we know when we see Him, we'll be just like Him. And so, uh, the beauty of seeing the Lord and the beauty of um, our new bodies, it's, it's going to be mind-boggling. And so, sometimes what we do is we see Jesus on the throne because we see Him with the physical body, but then we know the Father's upon the throne and Jesus is at the right hand, but then we see the Spirit sort of like a mist. You know? So the Father's sort of like a cloud just sort of engulfing things. And then there's this mist, the Holy Spirit. And, and, and we, we sometimes, in our little finite minds, trying to think about the infinite, can really get things mixed up. Now let me tell you, the Holy Spirit is a person. The Bible tells us He fills, He thinks, He leads. Uh, you could get my tape on the deity of the Holy Spirit. And uh, I, I go through that. And so the Holy Spirit is actually the third person of the Trinity, and He is a person. And He lives inside you if you're a born-again believer. And He's leading you, and He's guiding you. Matter of fact, concerning prayer, this Holy Spirit has a very specific work. Remember back in Romans 8. Turn there, if you would, to verse 26. As the Holy Spirit is in us, giving us hope, we learned, the Holy Spirit is also, in verse 26, Romans 8, likewise the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself makes intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So the Holy Spirit is in us, helping us in our weaknesses, helping us by this yearning, this tugging, this stirring, this moving, this groaning, our, our spirit, there's something going on. There's this joyful heaviness, this conviction, this thing that won't let us alone, this nagging, but yet, not like your mom or your wife, but I mean, it's, it's different than that, but it's, it's nevertheless, it won't stop. And uh, so, sort of similar. In verse 27, I better go on. And now, whew, getting in deep. Now, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So he's there helping us. Now, um, it tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, to not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That's Ephesians 4.30. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19, 
it says, do not quench the Spirit. And so we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Again, He's a person. And we can also quench the Holy Spirit. So let's try to identify this here just for a minute. The person, God. Okay, there's only one God. We, the Lord our God is one. And it's the third person of the Trinity who lives in us. Now, he's a person. And like any person, that relationship can be cultivated. Okay, some of you may be acquaintances. You know each other. And, and, and so you say, hi, hi. And it, there's really no great drawing outside of, I, I'm fine with a hi. Our relationship's deep enough. But there can come a point where your paths cross. Maybe you teach Sunday school and, and now this person you say hi to, you know their child and, and you really love their child. And because you love this, their son, let's say, you love this child, you go, man, these parents also must be neat. And so you have this in common and so you begin to talk and, and then you find out that you both surf. And so now you get together, and so you start having these common uh, denominators in your life, and, and in time, you begin to cultivate a relationship where you say hi, and they come over to your house, and you go over to their house for a barbecue or whatever. And then in time, you can grow comfortable enough where you become best friends. And so now you come, you just sort of knock on the door as you're walking in. And you're saying, hey, what are you doing as you're walking to their kitchen to get in the refrigerator to see what they have to eat? <laughs> and then you say, hey, I'm going to quit coming over here if you don't get some better leftovers. <laughs> and you open a Coke and you start drinking it. And he goes, hey, that's the last Coke and I was going to drink that. And you say, well, tough. <laughs> you're, you're close. I mean, it's just that relationship's been cultivated and, and you're like one. You really are in a love, in a, in a comfortableness, in a friendship, in a relationship. You're like one. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing with us and God. It's already happened in position. Jesus prayed it in in John 17. Father, as I am in you and you are in me, that they would be in us and we in them in this perfect unity. <coughs> And so we now have the Holy Spirit living in us. So it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that we now have the mind of Christ. But God wants to bring us into that oneness where actually all that I'm thinking is in Christ. All that I'm desiring is in Christ. All that I'm doing is in Christ. And then we come to say as Paul, for me to live is Christ. I am truly, not just positionally, but in mind, in heart, in will, in words, in thoughts, I am truly like the Lord. Until Paul could say, follow me as I follow Christ, which is just radical. They had such an intimacy. So, in every one of us, God has made us with this eternal vacuum that says intimacy. I want intimacy. Now, our soul hurts when we don't have that intimacy. 
it, it, our, our soul hurts. And, we, and it's craving, going, I, I want a closer relationship. Now, the thing that we can do and really end up bankrupt is thinking that we can get that intimacy from a person. And so we say, man, if I could just get married, you know, that, that hurt would be gone. But then you get married and the hurt's still there. Oh, it's gone for a time when the romance is there at the honeymoon period of that relationship. And well, you know, what I need is, is a child. That's what I need, you know. I, I can get this little child and, 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 and there you have the kid. And, and you do, you hold them and cuddle them, and, and, but it's still not quite there. So you get a dog. Now, I'll tell you, I've got four kids and I got a dog, and, and dogs are better. They really are. I, I mean, they're better for a lot of reasons. I've got we got this little tiny Chihuahua. This dog is always happy to see me. My kids aren't always happy to see me. He's always there, jumping up, you know, wanting me, wanting me. And he won't stop until I hold him. And then my kids, they come in to sleep with me at night. And they kick and they elbow. But this dog, every night, it sleeps right down by the, our feet. And it's great in the wintertime. Keeps our feet warm. <laughs> and... If anybody gets pushed around, it's him, not me. <laughs> and uh, it's just so cuddly. And my kids, you know, I'll try to lock eyes with them and stare at them, and, and it, it lasts just a minute. But this, me and this dog, we can just stare, and he'll just... <laughs> he won't quit. <laughs> Eats a lot less. I can put him outside, and he stays. He stays outside. There's just there's a lot of advantages. And of course, those little chihuahuas, they live about 25 years, so he'll be around a lot longer than the kids. But you know, I, I look at that little creature, and I, and I realize, okay, God, you've made everything in your image. And there is just a cuddliness, and there is a warmth, and there is a softness, and there is, there's just something. You know, when you pick up a cat and you put it against your chest, and it, that, uh, you know, that, that hum, I re in part, you see, this is made in the image of God. It's sort of healing, you know, when you hold that cat, if you're not allergic. <laughs> but, <laughs> if you're allergic, it's not healing. How many, how many people are allergic to cats? Raise your hand. Only a few. I'm amazed. But you hold those things and they, you know, they got that purr going and they rumble. And there's just a, there's a warmth. There is a, a comfortableness. There's a, there's a, a healing in, in being around such creatures. Now, in part, you see, Inside us, there is that yearning, and no person can satisfy. Now, words, you see, the people's words can help. 
People can comfort with words. They can talk to you and find it interesting. But you see that word, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. And now the Bible teaches us that the word can be in us as we meditate. And so people in part represent that image of God with words, okay? And there is a depth of their soul that's similar. And so, you know, maybe you know so, someone well enough that their soul and your soul, you, you can talk without talking. You can communicate. You can sense what they're thinking. You can sense how they're feeling without them saying anything. You can sense they're anxious or depressed or whatever just by being around them. Sometimes you don't even have to be around them. I mean, it happens to me quite a bit. Uh, I have some very dear friends that live in other cities or other countries, and, and I'll just sense the need to call them. They're going, oh, man, you have no idea. And I, I, I just had that sense. We're spiritual beings. We're soulish beings. But there is a work that God is wanting to do in us that can only be done by God. And here's where the real failure can lie. Is Satan knows how to keep things busy to not allow that intimacy to take place. And so our soul, you see, is like this eternal vacuum and it'll just start sucking up anything. It'll suck up music, it'll suck up TV, it'll suck up movies, it'll suck up magazines, it'll suck up sports, it'll suck... And it just, if you busy yourself, you see, that hurt is not there. It's numbed why that stuff is going. As soon as the TV gets shut off, oh, that emptiness is there. As soon as the music gets shut off, oh, it's there. As soon as the sport is over, oh, you see... And, and, and so there's that longing again, and, and that hole gets bigger and bigger and bigger until eventually there's, that it, the hurt gets worse and worse and worse. And so the Holy Spirit is helping us, you see, try to hone in and identify that need. And that need is to be near with the Lord. That, that need is to be of one mind, of one heart, of one love, of one joy, of this sameness with God. And so we have the ability that God would communicate with us and we with Him. Hold your finger there in, in Romans and turn over to 1 Corinthians, if you would, to chapter 2. In verse 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known it, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, Eye is not seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God's prepared for those who love him. But, verse 10 now, God has revealed them, past tense, to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of the man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know, listen, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. 
These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual words. In the Greek, literally, it says this. Comparing spiritual, spiritual. That's all it says. Comparing spiritual, spiritual. And spiritual things with spiritual words. Or, in other words, from God's spirit to our spirit, our spirit to God's spirit. And in verse 14, The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can we know them, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now turn, if you would, to the Gospel of John, in verse chapter 14. There in verse 16, John 14, verse 16, Jesus promises, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, comforter, parakletos, one who comes alongside, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Then in verse 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. Verse chapter 16 now. John chapter 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. It's to our advantage that the Holy Spirit's living in us, even a greater advantage than Jesus himself being physically on this earth. Now one more is over in 1 John, way back almost to the book of Revelation, there in chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1 verse 1. First John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. Talking about Jesus in a very poetic sense. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you also may have, listen, fellowship. That's the word koinonia. It's the word communion. It's the word partnership. It's, it's referring to intimacy with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. One more in Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, and then I'll make some comments as I tie these together. Galatians and Ephesians. Chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14. For this reason, 
chapter 3, verse 14 of Ephesians, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant to you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit, strengthened with might through his Spirit, where? In the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and he does, I pray to every one of you tonight who's been born again, that you being rooted now and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, passes human comprehension, passes human tongue, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works, where? In us. To him be the glory in the church, by Jesus, Christ Jesus, through all ages, world without end. Amen. The Holy Spirit, who was once in the world, now is in the world, convicting men of sin, lives in you. What does he do? He is your helper. He is your partner. He's your pleracletos. He is teaching you all things. He's speaking to your spirit that you might have all things. You would not come short in any gift, but receive all the gifts that God has to give to you. That intimate fellowship John is saying that we had, we touched him, we seen him, we, we were around a campfire with him. That same exact koinonia we had, we now have, even though he's not here anymore. And we pray that you would start having this fellowship. Jesus said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. That intimacy we had with Jesus is going to remain. It's going to continue. And it's not going to ever stop because the Holy Spirit is with us. Now, the point is this. Is that as we're in the Word, you see, God's Spirit will speak to us. As we're in prayer, God's Holy Spirit will speak to us. As we're going through the day, if we will slow down, if we will spend time with the Lord, if we'll meditate in the Word, God will speak. His Holy Spirit will commune with you. Now, I don't know about you, but when my heart is hurting and heavy, I just got to go read the Bible. And if I can read the Bible for a few minutes or sometimes hours, finally that hurt, that heaviness, that it's almost like a pain sometimes in my soul, it stops. And it's the Holy Spirit groaning, you see, helping me to commune with God, draw near to God, cultivate that relationship with God, continue in that cultivation with relationship with God as He desires. When I sin, oh, the Holy Spirit's grieving. When I do the right thing, the Holy Spirit's full of joy. And so, guys, this is an intimacy that we have with Jesus now. It's not something we'll have when we get to heaven and physically see him. Guys, we are spirit. God is spirit. The spirit is in us. God's spirit is with us. So when we leave this body, nothing really is going to be changing if you're living the way God wants you to live now. We're in communion with God now. We're going to be in communion with him in heaven it's not going to be this giant leap. It's just going to be a different location. It's not going to be the beginning of anything. It's just a continuation of what's always been. And so the height, the width, the depth, the length, to know the love of God, to be filled up with that fullness of God, to walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, to experience that love of the Spirit. So he's saying, out of the love of the Spirit, 
that he would not be quenched, that he would not be grieved, that he can say all that he wants to say. You know, when somebody's trying to talk to you or you're, you're trying to talk to somebody and they keep interrupting you or, or uh, they're just not interested in listening to you, it hurts, doesn't it? And there's a part of your soul that just sort of gets cut off and you just sort of are left hanging there. And especially if you can't continue the conversation, you sort of just feel like, man, I've got to go tell somebody. And so you find somebody else that's worthy to hear this information. And, and you, because it's like, I've got to, and the same way with the Lord, there's things he wants to share with you. There's stuff coming around the corner in two weeks from now. There's stuff that he needs to begin giving you the ABCs of what you're going to need to know in two years from now. And so he's got to lead you there, and, and it can't be a big jump. It's going to have to be slowly as he's leading you in that area. Or if you're not spiritually appraising things as you need to be, it's going to be a really tough go, and there's going to be some real spiritual gains you're going to miss out on, some real spiritual opportunities you're going to lose. And so the Holy Spirit's leading you. So don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. By the love of the Spirit, fall in love with God. Fall in love with His Holy Spirit. He is so gentle. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. You see, the Spirit of God is leading us. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit who's called you into gentleness, who's called you into tenderness, who's called you in to forgive even as you have been forgiven tenderheartedly. And so to have that mind of the Spirit, to have that heart of the Spirit, there's times that I'm just very justified in my attitude. And I'll just start rambling. And it's right. It's correct. But it's not the mind of Christ. It's the mind of this world, and it's the mind of a rather nice person in this world. It's not a long ways away, but it's not the mind of God. And the Holy Spirit, let me tell you something. It's a very still, small voice. It's a very gentle tug. And if you're just marching ahead, you're not going to catch it. You're not going to be there. So out of the love of the Spirit, out of the love of the Spirit, he's saying this. And then he continues on in Romans 15. So I beg you guys to start entering into this for Jesus Christ, for all that he's done for us, who he is, for his glory. I want you to begin this. And, and, and the love of the Spirit, that you'd start slowing down and listening, communion, cultivating that relationship, coming closer and nearer, become the best friends with the Holy Spirit, for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. That you strive together. This word, strive, agonizo is the agonize, and there's a word before it that means strive together or it's also the word wrestle with somebody it's to agonize over or to wrestle with somebody i think this is the best understanding that with the holy spirit it, it, again that there would be this earnestness in your prayers 
I think sometimes we pray, and, and it's just sort of like, bless us, food, and, you know, hallelujah, amen. And it's just sort of, it's, a, it's not really an earnest prayer. It's not really a sincere prayer. It's not really a, a prayer that's getting in there with, you know, you see wrestlers come out, ding, ding, you know, they're coming out, you know, and that's the spirit in which we're to pray. When we go to prayer, there's this alertness, there's this soberness, there's this earnestness, there's this this real awareness of, hey, there's some issues the Lord's speaking to me on and I'm speaking to the Lord about and, and there's this conversation that can happen and we need to wrap up here. We need to, to deal with this. There's some things in my life, there's some things I don't understand, there's some things that are real needs that, hey, you know, we're locking up here and we're not going to let it go. Now, I, I would like to get off tonight on a whole teaching on persistence and prayer, and I won't do that. But boy, there's a lot of scriptures on that. Ask, keep on asking. Seek, keep on seeking. The guy who comes to his friend at night, and he says, hey, give me a loaf, and he won't for a while, but finally, because of his persistence, he says, go away. Because of his persistence, he says, I'll give you all that you desire, and he gives it to him. The widow who comes to the unjust judge, who doesn't fear God nor regard man. Finally, he wear, she wears this guy down. Okay, I'll give it to you. Listen to what the unjust judge said. There's that persistence. So there's much to be learned, but there is this work that God has to do in your spirit and intimacy gained as you come closer together in this locking horns, tying up together, wrestling. Now, if you are very close to somebody, you know that's the way you do grow together. If you have a surface relationship with somebody, it's never this conversation where somebody goes, no, 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 hold on. I'm not sure about that. I, I think you're wrong on that. I think that maybe you were trying to say this, not this, and I don't understand why you're thinking that. There is that sense, you see, but if it's a surface relationship, you just say, oh, mm-hmm, oh, yeah, mm, okay. You just let it go because your relationship isn't strong enough to handle a challenge or to have that uh, negative aspect to the relationship. But if it's a good friend of yours, you're going to let them know, hey, that's not right, that's not true, that's, that's wrong. Or, hey, I, you know, I, I think that attitude was wrong. Or, I think what you said was, was, could have been said differently. There, there's a locking up, you see. And they're going, no, 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 you don't understand. And then they give their part of it. And, and then you come back with your part of it. And finally... After you wrestle, you come to an agreement. Okay, I, I see why you did what you did, but I still think this. And, and then as they start thinking about it, they'll either come your way or you go their way. Or, but there's that, that work. And so God wants to work with you in that way. I think a great example is, is Jacob. Remember, as he had always lived life in his own strength, in his own wits. And now Laban is chasing him and He's fleeing for his life, and Laban catches up, and he says, man, I was going to kill you, but God warned me in a dream not to kill you and not to mess with you. And, and then the next day, here's his brothers coming now, Esau, who hates him, who swore to kill him, and coming with 400 men. And Jacob is brought low. He realizes, man, my whole life could be over here. I'm going to lose everything, and my kids are going to be without a dad, and and so he sends everything ahead, finagling, manipulating still. Tell, J tell Esau, it's all his. It's all his, you know, everything. I'll just give it all to him. Hopefully I'll get my life out of this, you know. And that night, while he's by himself, he sent the 
kids and the wives ahead, you know, to soften up Esau, going, oh, geez, look at these cute kids. You know, if I kill Jacob like I want, this guy won't have a dad. And, you know, and, and, and hopefully, you know, trying to soften Esau up. Now, he had no idea that Esau was, it was a real honorable guy. He had forgiven Jacob years earlier. It wasn't even an issue with him. But Jacob didn't know that. And so there was an earnestness because of the fear of his life. But yet, there always needed to be that earnestness towards God. He just never had it. But because of the fear for his life, because of the fear that his whole life could come crashing in, there was an earnestness there. Now, I've seen this with people in the church. Were they rather lukewarm Christians? And And I am afraid for them because I see their walk is so shallow and I I know that there's a deepness in the Lord they're not experiencing and I know it's going to eventually mess up their marriage and their kids and and I know there's things in their life that should go but they can't see it and 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 there's this work in God's spirit that he wants to do but it's not happening and then all of a sudden they'll lose their job or they'll get and all of a sudden boom there's this earnestness and there's a sweetness in the Lord that I've never seen and before and going oh man they're there but often when they come out of their financial hardship or they get better, then they go right back into that slump. Sometimes they stay there long enough and then when the slump's over, they're, they're, they're really, it really is them. But he had this earnestness and that night the Lord showed up as a wrestler. And him and Jacob just wrestled back and forth all night long until the break of day. And finally at the break of day, the Lord just reached over, touched his hip, boom, throws the whole thing out of socket. Something he could have done in the first second of the wrestling match. And there Jacob grabs onto him, won't let him go. Now in these times, the one who wins would give the prize. It's opposite today. But the winner would give the prize, and so the loser had to humbly take it. You know, and the bigger, the better. You know, because now they have this big present, you know, this big trophy and, and everybody's looking at it going, oh, you lost, huh? <laughs> it, was, it was humbling. You didn't want it, you see. And so he says, I won't let you go until you bless me. I won't let you go until you give it to me. I'm, I'm a broken man here. I, I realize that I've been wrestling with somebody that's unique and different. And, and he says, what's your name? He said, my name's Jacob. I'm a hill catcher. I'm, there he is, a hold of the hill of God. There he is, struggling, holding onto God's leg. What are you? That's what I am. I'm a dirty, low-down, sneaky, manipulative person. That's what his name meant. And he said, no more. You have now been governed by God. Or won, W-O-N, you've won with God. After that night of wrestling, after he came to the place of brokenness, you see, with the Lord, by the Lord, he says, from now on, you're going to be a different person. And he says, what's your name? And he lets him know, can't be known, can't be said. And he realizes, I've been wrestling with God and I haven't, I haven't died. You see, it's in that place of prayer 
It's in that place when we're in the Word going, man, I don't understand this, and I don't realize why God would say that, and, I, and, and I'm trying to understand, and, and what's this mean to lose my life in this world? What's that? How can that be done? Pray without ceasing. That's how you pray without ceasing. How can this be done? You see? And as you struggle over these issues, so many of the messages I give, I will give in such a way that doesn't give all the answers. And people come up and and what do you mean by what do you mean by struggle with it? If you want me to repeat the verses, I'll repeat them to you. Write them down. Struggle with it. Struggle is wonderful. I have learned if I haven't struggled over an issue, I'll always wonder if I made the right choice. But if I struggle over it, I always know I, I did the right thing because I've looked at every aspect of it, I wrestled with it, and I finally came to a result. This is what God wants, and I'm confident. But there's areas in many of your lives that you haven't really struggled over, and therefore it's sort of a flimsy thing. I know I struggled over the issue of God's Word in my life. Meditate on it day and night. Man can't live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And, and I, God, you're saying I've got to read this thing every day, meditate it all the time. My whole life is just constantly the Word, the Word, the Word, the Word. If that's what you're saying, man, that's just going to be a complete lifestyle change for me. This is just too much. You know, I'm, I'm used to reading a little verse in the morning and then going to church on Sunday, and, and that's it. But you're, you're giving me a whole other lifestyle. And it was, it was hard. It was struggle. It was in my soul. It was in my character. It was a whole different life change of living. But it was in that wrestling with God over that lifestyle that God actually, by His Holy Spirit, was able to strengthen me. There was a fullness of God that now is in my life. There's a oneness with God I didn't have that I now have in that one area. And then the area of prayer is another one. Area of waiting on the Lord. An area of forgiving and, and bitterness. Another area of humbling myself. There's not, all these areas of going back to the Scripture saying, what and struggling with it. And Paul says, I beg you, for Jesus Christ, the love of the Spirit, God's Holy Spirit is directing you. Quit grieving Him. Quit quenching Him. God is trying to develop you into this lifestyle of prayer. God's trying to develop in you a person who meditates on the Word. God's trying to develop in you into this giving, loving, serving, humble, broken person, and, and you're resisting it. Let it happen. Wrestle with Him over these issues. And then He says, with me. I like this. Strive together with me. Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 5, he goes, there's a guy who was in sin and he says, kick him out of the church and I am with you in spirit. Next time you get together, in spirit, I am there with you. Now this is a radical concept that Paul is saying, I am pressing on, you're pressing on. And, and together we're growing, you see. And there's this oneness that we're experiencing as we grow in the Lord. That's why the preaching of the Word is so important. And I'm so glad you're here tonight. I'm so glad you come Sunday morning and Sunday night. Many of you are even a home Bible study on top of that. I'm so glad because you are going to grow in the Lord at a much greater speed. There's going to be a sweetness of the Lord in your life, there's going to be a strength in every area of your life because the more you know Him, the more you're growing closer to Him. And it's a spiritual thing right now. The Bible says we're matured through the preaching of the Word. There's a spiritual thing happening right now through the preaching. 
Well, I could know what you know by reading a book. Yeah? But there's something supernatural when the spoken word is preached as it is here tonight and taught. And so there's this working as we're all together coming together as I'm struggling and you're struggling and, and we're both learning and growing. And, and then he says, and learn to strive together for me. And that whole issue for me, we're going to have to tackle the next time we get back together, uh, praying for those in leadership, praying for Paul. And, and so, again, I, I think there's enough tonight to, to chew on and to think about, but that wrestling together. And so we're going to come back and talk about that a little bit more. Uh, I want to show you Elijah and, and Jesus, how they wrestled in prayer, and then we'll go in uh, for me and then finish up that chapter the next time we're together. Lord, there's so much. Lord, I know you're speaking to us. And I know that your Holy Spirit is leading us into a greater intimacy. Your Spirit, speaking to our Spirit. Our Spirit, communing with your Spirit. Receiving, understanding, being taught things from your Spirit to our Spirit. Human mind can never catch up. It's something that's in our hearts. And we can't really explain with the words. Man can never explain in any human intellect, our finite minds cannot take on that infinite word in our work in our spirit, speaking with your spirit. Lord, I just pray tonight that as we have heard this admonition by Paul, begging us for your glory and in this communion and this love relationship with the Holy Spirit who lives in us, to, to come closer and nearer as we learn to wrestle, strive together in prayer. Lord, we just come before you now. Lord, just continue to do that work deeper and deeper and deeper in us. Everybody's head bowed. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not a believer. Right now, just cry out with your, your soul. The Holy Spirit is in the world. He wants to be in you. He's brought you here tonight. He's convicted you of your sin, of righteousness, of judgment. He's brought you here. But right now, he wants you to come. He wants to come into your life. Just confess, Lord, I'm a sinner. My sins have kept me from you. And I know that you love me and you died on the cross for me, Lord Jesus. And you rose again that I could have life. Come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. And I ask right now that I could commune and live in that life of the Spirit, in the Word, in prayer, hearing the Word taught, growing more and more into that oneness, that intimacy in you. If you're a believer here tonight and You've just sort of stagnated. You've hit a wall and there's some areas of struggle that God's making you surrender over. Maybe it's putting the Lord first with time or energies or the finances. Maybe there's some areas of carnalness at work or maybe there's a lack of servanthood in the home that you're just unwilling to bend to, unwilling to give in on. And the Holy Spirit's speaking you, been telling you, this is how you must live and you haven't been able to lose your life to gain in Christ. Just right now, just confess that. Lord, I, I know your Spirit's been speaking to me through the Word, through the preaching of the Word, through friends. I know that my, I haven't been struggling with you on this issue. Lord, change me. I'm, I'm here tonight. I'm struggling to be willing, but I'm, I'm willing. I'm willing to be willing. Make me more willing. But deal with me, and I want to yield it all to you. In Jesus' name, bless the dear saints who have heard your word. Glorify yourself. And everybody said, Amen.